welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. I'm your host, Troy McClung, as Kelly announced in the intro there. And uh, I think I'm getting into the groove here, getting some interviews nailed down and kind of getting back into getting things scheduled. I'm not going to promise a podcast every week simply because uh, we're getting into the holiday season and things get crazy around here. But uh, that's what I'm shooting for. I may take a break around Christmas time, maybe a Thanksgiving break. We'll see. But I've got uh, a lot of you all have... um, I really stepped up and sent me some info to um, to get you on the here to interview. I think I've got maybe 10 interviews lined up here in the next uh, four weeks. So very excited. So there should be plenty of material coming as long as I don't mess it up. And uh, make, still making little tweaks to my uh, audio, trying little pieces of equipment here and there. Again, I'm using, uh, have to use basically 1980s technology <laughs> to get all this done. So uh, appreciate you all bearing with me. Uh, we're, we're trying to tweak it as we go along. Feel free to give me some feedback uh, about anything, including feedback uh, that you're hearing on your side, and I'll see what I can do to pick it out. I, I try to play, do my playbacks and listen to make sure there isn't any uh, any issues there. Uh, updates here on the farm real quick. Nothing, nothing crazy coming up on weaning. Probably in the next two weeks we'll be weaning our piglets, and, uh, and we wean by moving them into a small paddock. That will also be our training paddock. So um, we train them to electric fence. At the same time, we'll be weaning them off. Uh, so we'll detail how that goes. There'll, there'll definitely be some videos on the uh, YouTube channel, but we'll, we'll probably talk about that here on the podcast as well when that comes. Well, as far as interviews, uh, I have with me a, an interview, a gentleman by the name of Rodney Adams with Revival Farmstead. He's down in Dallas, Texas. And had a really good conversation with him. And we're going to go ahead and jump right into that now. So, Rodney, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, Tell us where your farm is. We're about uh, 40 minutes east of downtown Dallas here in uh, Royce City. Yeah. A lot of uh, pig farmers down your neck of the woods? (laughs) No. (laughs) Not many at all. Yeah, that's beef beef country, yeah. There's a handful around here in Texas, but... uh, but uh, really, this is not pig country. This is cattle country. All right. All right. So um, let's talk briefly about your setup. So uh, you're, you're in Texas, obviously, so you've got uh, Texas weather to deal with. But talk about your setup from like a 40,000-foot elevation view. Yeah, sure. Uh, we're on uh, five acres, and um, there's a lot of acreage sort of around us and our neighboring properties, but we ourselves have five acres. Um, you know, we moved out here about a year and a half ago uh, just to sort of get a little peace and quiet. We started, um, had a few cooney-cooney hogs, and that sort of, um, you know, developed into what we're doing now. Uh, currently, we're fairly small. We run uh, six uh, purebred Berkshire sows, and um, we, we, we sell, uh, primarily our goal is to sell meat uh, directly to our, uh, our customers. Uh, but we also do, uh, we sell feeder pigs, and we sell breed stock, uh, and sort of everything in between. So we're growing, uh, but we, we, um, we're, 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 things are moving pretty quickly. 
Yeah. Um, we have on our five acres, we, we use currently about, about an acre and a half of that, um, currently where the hogs are. Um, we'll be growing into the rest of it, but we sort of do a hybrid, uh, deep mulch system, uh, with a little bit of pasture, uh, that our hogs can get out on. Uh, we just sort of felt like that would give us the opportunity to have, um, you know, the most, uh, the most hogs on a small piece of property that we can get. Yeah. Okay. Wow. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's, uh, let's back up a little bit. So, um, how did you come about, you mentioned you're trying to get out and kind of get away a little bit, but why, why did you start with, with hogs? What, what led you, did you have experience with hogs? Have, have you been, uh, been, did you grow up raising hogs? Yeah, believe it or not, I did. Um, we, um, this is our first farm as a family, my wife and our kids and I. Um, but, um, you know, I, when I got out of the military, uh, we, we were living overseas. We moved to Dallas. I took a fancy Wall Street job. Uh, did that for about three and a half years. Um, now I'm the executive director of our church. Uh, and so we decided that we needed a new hobby and, and um, needed a little bit more space and, and peace and quiet for the kids. And so we moved out. And, um, you know, we got hogs because it was familiar to me. Um, we started with chickens like a lot of folks do. Uh, layers, and we ran a couple of broilers. We had 16 broilers that we ran uh, there for a little bit. Um, but my grandparents uh, were one of the largest hog producers in Texas uh, back in the kind of 50s through the 80s or 90s. And and um, so I grew up familiar with it. My mom and dad, we had hogs. When I was growing up, we showed. Um, dad had a little breeding operation for a little bit. And so, you know, get, getting over the the you know, the nerves of having hogs and how do you put them in pens and what do you do with them once they're in there was not really a factor for us. And so we just kind of jumped in. Yeah. Yes. That's interesting. So your family having the, uh, the largest hog operation in Texas at some point, I, I assume that was, was that confinement based? Was that pasture based? Uh, yeah, I assume it's the largest, if not one of the largest. Um, it was, it was a, uh, confinement based system. Um, where um, Papa ran, I think he had around three or four hundred sows uh, that he was running um, there in you know typical sort of confinement situation where he's got you know different farrowing houses uh, and then they'd move to kind of their uh, finishing floors once the hogs were you know of age and then you know trucks would come in and grab them and take them uh, wherever they took them. I know he had relationships with a lot of the large uh, packers kind of your name brand, um, you know, meat, meat producers. Uh, and he did that for, for as long as I can remember. And, uh, we, so I grew up sort of with my mind tweaked towards, uh, the commercial environment. Uh, so, you know, even today as we're trying to get away from some of that or change things maybe a little bit, um, some of those memories are still there and some of those strategies if you will are still there and so we're having to balance that a little bit sure absolutely so you mentioned six sows and it sounds like right now six breeding sows and it sounds like right now you're you're active on a little over an acre uh, with those so i assume you're you're farrowing on farm are you doing ai or boar what's what's your situation there we're currently uh aiing um we kept a boar uh, of ours that was born over the summer and um, and then 
we're going to hold on to him. And we've got a litter due in December from a different uh, bloodline. We're going to pull a boar out of there if we find one that we like. And uh, my goal is to have is to have our own boars. The AI thing is um, it's helped us kind of really be specific about our genetics, and um, we're really really investing in good, um, you know, meat quality boars, meat quality animals um, in the registered Berkshire sort of line. Um, but, you know, as far as timing, timing heat cycles and, and getting, you know, getting semen here on time and, and at the right temperature, you know, this last round we had some thousand heat two weeks ago or about a week and a half ago where, you know, we had gotten, you know, the semen here and, and we were ready to go and we've got a little wine fridge that we bought off of Craigslist where we keep it at temperature and, and then the, the sows didn't go into standing heat. They, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they were in estrus for a little bit and then it just kind of passed. And yeah. so for, you know, that's, that's a few hundred bucks, you know, that down the tube that kind of hurts the pocketbook a little bit when you do it that way. So we're looking forward to having our own boards. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, can speak from that experience you know we we did ai for the longest time and just this year is the first year with boars and and yeah it is it's a challenge on both sides but uh there's pros and cons but yeah it is a it is a drag when you've lost um you know that entire dose simply because things didn't work out calendar wise yeah all right well um so let's uh well let's let's talk about the berkshire first so why you, you talked about starting with the cooney cooney so so why a switch to the berkshire well, our, our plan was to move out here and just sort of homestead a little bit. So we weren't really concerned about, you know, how slow Cooney Coonies can be to get up the processing weight. You know, we have some decent pasture out here on even on our little five acres. And so, you know, um, the, the appeal of the Cooney Coonies was that they're docile. And, you know, I'm a bivocational farmer, I guess you could say. I, I work for a church full time and, and do this. So the fewer fences that I have to fix and, and hogs that I have to get back in their pens, um, the better. And, but as soon as we got hogs on our property, you know, friends and family immediately had sort of said, well, we, we want in, how do we get the meat? And, uh, so we sort of, we, we processed one, uh, we started immediately looking for, um, you know, a hog that would maybe, get to processing weight a little faster than the Cooney Coonies um, so that we could meet some demand. We had not really intended on having a, a an actual meat business, but that's sort of where we're headed now. Um, and so just I'd known about the Berkshire for a while just through growing up and doing a little bit more research. You know, we like the, the meat quality um, that they put out. We like the marketability of the name. And, and um, so the fact that we could get sort of a more domestic a more domestic style or breed of hog um, that that is high quality meat um, that has some marketability behind it. That's sort of what 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 had us go with the Berkshire, and we ended up selling our our Cooney Coonies to our meat our processor. Uh, we took a hog in, and he had asked if we knew of anybody else that had any Cooney Coonies to sell, and I sold them ours on the spot so that we could make some room for our Berkshires. All right, all right, that worked out well then. Yeah. All right. So, um, how many with the six sows, and of course, you know, I assume are you are you breeding all all six of those each year, and, and how many litters are you getting? Litter sizes, I should. Well, say. we're hope. 
Yeah, we're hoping to at least we're hoping to get at least you know three of the six um, two litters out of them next year. Mm. Um, you know, we don't want to do more than two, and frankly, even if it was mathematically possible, it would be hard just with other factors and and getting animals bred and and stuff. But but um, you know, we've got three that are due in December, and then three more that are due shortly thereafter. Um, wow. So you know, we should be able to get, you know, two two litters out of at least half of them next calendar year. So we're hoping to run, you know, between, I don't know, 60 and 80 hogs next year. Yeah, that, that was going to be my next question. So looking to finish 60 or 80 hogs uh, on the pasture size that you have, uh, that's, that's, um, that's a pretty good density there. Yeah. So let's... Uh, it is. Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. No, I was gonna say so let's let's segue over into to your hybrid setup that you talked about here at the intro. What what exactly are you calling your hybrid setup with pasture and deep litter? Can you describe that to our listeners? Sure. Um, so we our our hogs spend a good I guess you could say particularly the sows, they would spend uh, the majority of the year um, on a deep litter or a deep mulch sort of um, setup. You know, we've looked, we've read all, a lot of the stuff everybody else has, and and um, you know, reading about Joel Salatin and his sort of deep litter system, how he you know runs his hogs over the winter, we just sort of got to thinking, well, we don't really need to run hogs inside shelter like that, but we don't have a lot of space, so if it's good enough for for him, it should be good enough for us, and so we do have some cedar trees and some kind of really like nuisance type, you know, trees on our property. A lot of folks around here try to get rid of them, but it's perfect for um, shade for hogs. And so we actually, I mean, our system's a completely outdoor system. You know, each each full-grown sow or hog would get anywhere between, let's just say, 100 and 150 square feet per hog. That's sort of how I figure the, pin, the pins out. And then we keep you know, it, it wouldn't be as deep of a litter as, as um, Joel Salatin, I think, runs. But, I mean, we keep between, you know, call it 8 and 15 inches in the pins at all times. Um, yeah. And that enables us to really, we, we sort of scoop the top of the waste off, you know, when hogs, you know, if you put, if you got a, a, a square pin and you've got shelter in one corner and water in one and feed the other, they're going to waste in the other. Uh, and so it enables us to keep that a little bit controlled, and we can we can turn that, we can add wood chips on top of it, and it really keeps the the smell down. It keeps the flies uh, down, uh, which we believe keeps will help keep parasites and different things down, and um, really enables us to to kind of add more animals on a five acre piece of property without kind of going full confinement. Yeah. Um, and so, and so that's kind of what we're doing right now. And then they get out on pasture every now and then. Yeah. So, so if I'm understanding, so you, you talk about a 150 square foot paddock per uh, breeding sow, I assume. So when she farrows, and you've got that litter, how do you how do you break up that litter after weaning to to finish those out? Are those individually in their own paddocks, or are there larger paddocks that you keep that entire group together? How do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, I guess what I mean is if we've got a group of, of, of hogs, whether we're finishing them out or if they're just, you know, sows that aren't being aren't ready to farrow yet, you know, we just kind of calculate that 
100 to 150 square feet per animal. Oh, I see. Kind of what we want to give them. We might have a, you know, 1,000 square foot pen that's got, you know, six or eight hogs in it. But when when they get ready to farrow, we run them down into a smaller pen, and it's typically a 16 by, either 16 by 16 or 16 by 24, you know, whatever whatever works out neatly, you know, with the panels. Um, They've got a shelter in there. No, no crates, you know, so they kind of semi-open farrow, and then they live in there in that deep, you know, deep litter bed, uh, you know, with their litter, with their litter of pigs for six to eight weeks. That's when we sort of try to wean, and then, um, you know, as the as the pigs start to, to eat on their own and start trying to eat some of her feed, you know, we might let them out. Uh, we might let them creep a little bit out onto the, some pasture and start getting their legs under them, uh, and then... Um, you know, once they're done and ready to wean, then we'll we'll move her out and keep them in there uh, for a little bit on their own. It's easier. It, we just found it's easier to move her out than it is to move them out. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah, very good. Okay, so yeah, I understand the the setup a little better there. Now you'd mentioned Joel Salatin's method, and and I've been on his farm several times now and and witnessed firsthand how he he does that operation in fact i've been there i think both times in the spring and early summer uh to see his his barns and and again i won't get into the details for listeners that maybe aren't familiar with his process but the deep litter method he he does a a process before he brings his cattle in the cattle are actually what are producing a lot of that litter with the wood chips and he he precedes in the fall, he'll precede his large barn area, this holding area, with, with corn, puts his wood chips in, and of course the cattle stay in there all year, all winter long, uh, so he doesn't sacrifice any pasture. And their, uh, you know, their uh, fecal material, the hay and the wood chips, they just keep adding, keep building up and building up. So it gets to the point in the spring where he's you know three to four feet deep in some places, and, uh, or in most places. And then the, when he puts the pigs on there, they go through and they're looking for that fermented corn underneath and they just turn and turn and turn. So are you doing any preloading like that? Or are you just using your your uh, wood chips as he likes to call a carbaceous diaper to uh, to capture that waste? Yeah, ours is more the diaper uh, thing. You know, it, it helps us manage the waste a little bit. We don't, because we don't have any other animals in there and, yeah. you know, the hog life cycle and is, is so short you know, that by the time they're at two months, you know, weaning age, they only have four months left. And so we don't really, we don't re- they don't really spend a whole lot of time in that one space. And we, we have extra paddocks that we rotate them through. Yeah. Okay. So um, by the time it gets, you know, let's call it two feet deep, um, they're usually ready to move on to somewhere else or we've sold them or, or they're ready to go to process. And I'll just remove the panels, and we'll go in and and clean all that out, move it to our compost pile, and we'll start over. Um, so that's sort of what we do. Yeah, well, that's what I was getting ready to say. Obviously, you you are producing a byproduct there, which um, yeah, in a pat you know in a full open pastured system that gets uh, dispersed quite a bit, and usually you don't have to handle it. So you're adding additional labor. But obviously, you're getting more product per acre in that situation. So you mentioned compost pile. So what what is the end game strategy for that compost pile? Obviously, that's going to reach a certain size, and you're going to have to do something with it then again. Yeah, I'm not sure. <clears throat> what we're thinking is, um, you know, this will be this next year will be the first year that we have that si- a sizable compost pile. What we've been doing is when we muck out the pins, 
you know, we run about, currently we have about 200 layers, and then we typically, we've run about 100 broilers at a time. And so with a wheelbarrow, we'll just run the compost or the, the, the mulch, the waste and the mulch over to them, and they completely rifle through it and get everything they want out of it and spread it out, and we don't have to worry about it again. But, yeah, you know, as we grow, um, we just bought a tractor. Um, I've been doing all this with a wheelbarrow <laughs> and a pitchfork. Um, we just bought a tractor, and uh, we're, I think we're about to buy a little compact uh, no-till uh, cedar, uh, you know, seed drill. And I think what we're going to try to do is um, we're going to get the compost tested. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take a sample and send it off and just kind of see what's in it and if, if it's, you know, if it's, um, we'll be ready to put out on pasture, then we're going to try to spread it out and then plant, um, you know, try to run some cover crop and some different things, you know, turnips, radishes, pumpkins, um, you know, cucumbers, squashes, whatever, whatever's in season. Uh, and when we let our hogs out on pasture for that short period of time, they've got some pretty substantial um, forage out there. Yeah, yeah, I like that idea, and that, in fact, that's kind of what was rolling around in my head as you were talking. I, again, thinking of what Salatin does when he, when they go to clean out their barns after the pigs are ready to go out to pasture, then that's primarily where all that goes. It goes into the manure spreaders, and then they take it and and seed their cattle pastures and their chicken pasture. All you know, those are the same same pasture type. So really reinvesting that back into the soil to to build that that quality of of pasture even more. So yeah, I like that idea. And then of course, as you mentioned, having it tested to see how that's going to work out. And then you, my goodness, I, I assume you could possibly even have some um, byproduct sale opportunity there. If you you get a, a good compost that's that's trustworthy and been tested well, then you may be able to have a um, a value added item to sell there to to other people. Yeah, yeah, I like that. All right. So, um, so as far as your, and one more point on that, so as far as your deep litter acquisition, you talked about a lot of, uh, you know, a, a scrub tree around that area of Texas, uh, or an unwanted tree. Are, are you bringing in those and shipping them up? Are you just acquiring wood chips wherever you can? Do you have a, a, a reliable source for that? Um, we have a, a pretty good relationship with um, a tree trimming company in Dallas, and um, they... I mean, they bring us all we want, at least for now. I mean, they, you know, it costs them quite a bit of money uh, to, to take all that material sure. uh, to the city landfill. And so, you know, making the extra trip out to our place and dumping it for free seems to work out for them. They seem to be happy to do it. And uh, for now, I mean, we get load after load after load. In fact, one just came five minutes before you and I got on the phone. Yeah. Um, and so that's been really handy. And, and it's nice because... You know, around here, there's a lot of oak, a lot of pecan, uh, you know, uh, stuff like that, particularly in the city. And so, um, when we get those, when we get those loads, and, and I can dump them in the pens, you know, the, the hogs like to kind of sift through there and pick out, you know, nuts and different things. So it gives them, gives them something to do and a little bit of, you know, I don't know what it, what exactly it adds to their diet, but they seem to like it. So it, yeah. it seems to work. Yeah. Well, so. Uh... Let's let's talk about uh, a little bit about infrastructure. Sounds like like you said, you said most of it's an outdoor setup. Uh, your farrowing uh, paddocks have uh, have the lean-to farrowing areas there. But w- what are you doing as far as is there any other shelter do you have? Obviously, Texas gets pretty hot. 
I've only been to Houston once in my life. That's the only time I've been in Texas. And, and uh, I think I was in Houston in August, and I wasn't very impressed. <laughs> it, was, it was a little too warm for my uh, northern blood there. But uh, So what are you doing for, for shade, for wallow, for water? Uh, what, are, what are you doing to keep the pigs cool? Yeah, so, um, you know, we have these cedar trees. They're actually called ash junipers, but they're like the western red cedar. They're kind of a, you know, bushy, very really dense, evergreen, you know, um, almost like a shrub tree. It's they, they grow to be about 20 or 30 feet tall. That's about it. Mm. Um, and um, they're, they're really dense. But what I'd like to do is I'll, I'll get a chainsaw and trim them up from the bottom, almost like a Christmas tree. And, um, and those will provide all day shade, you know, yeah. for the hogs and for the chickens. And, and, um, so we pin them in around those, we build all of our pins around at least, you know, a couple of those cedar trees so that they've got all day shade, you know, provides, you know, it breaks up the wind. Normally when our rain comes, it comes with wind as well. Mm. And, uh, so it breaks up, you know, some of those, some of that breaks up some of that weather and, and, um, I don't, I usually don't have to do more than just put a little lean to or something in their pen. We don't really give them a ton of shelter. Um, right now it's a little complicated because most of my herd has come from a commercial environment. And so, um, they are learning to have to kind of forage and kind of make it out there. But that's our goal is to breed that into our, into our herd over time to where, you know, there's just fewer inputs required from us. Um, If it gets really hot during the summer, we'll we'll run misters kind of up in the trees just to give them a little bit of extra, um, a little bit of extra moisture for the. The good thing about Texas, I don't know. If, as a pig farmer, I think it's a good thing. Not everybody does, but we the breeze or the wind is almost always blowing here, and so with just a little bit of, of moisture from those misters, the breeze keeps them pretty cool, and we don't really have to worry about it too much. Um, we run water nipples, you know, I've got poly tubing that I run everywhere. And so between the misters, the shade and them spilling, you know, the waste from the water nipples, right. there's usually a wallow, you know, kind of around and, and, um, that seems to work. Yeah. Yeah. There's no shortage of a pig being able to find water. That's for sure. <laughs> if it's anywhere on the property, they will find it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Excellent. Okay, so additional infrastructure. So with your with your hybrid setup, are you incorporating electric fence? Are you using solid wall? Are you using woven? A combination? How, how are you fencing them in? Yeah, the the deep litter is in hard panels, just kind of your standard, you know, um, hog panel that you can get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we were going to do electric, but really quickly figured out that the hogs just push so much material on top of that electric fence that we really needed a way to, to a more, a more firm way to keep that material in. And so the, the deep mulch pins are, are paneled in. Um, but, but when we want to let them out, we'll just move the end wall or the end panel, uh, tie electric fence into it, or just sort of put a post, you know, on the end and run electric fence out however far we want onto whatever, you know, paddock we want to put them on. Uh, and that seems to work pretty well. Uh, once we get them trained uh, to the fence itself, and we just let them out, it, and it doesn't seem to, we don't really have any issues, really. Yeah, yeah. That's excellent. Very good. Yeah. So in, in your setup, you'd, you'd mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, you know, the, keeping the flies down and, and how that relates to parasite load. Uh, what's, what's your biggest concern or biggest um, 
biggest thing you're looking out for when it comes to parasite issues with your, your pasture setup? Well, smell and flies are an indicator for us. So if we walk out and, and there's a pretty heavy presence of flies or, um, you know, you can smell the hogs before you get right up to the pen, then we know that we need to do some work on the litter. Um, typically, particularly with fresh litter, I mean, you know, we're, we're 30 minutes from Dallas. I mean, a lot of our friend groups and our church groups and whatnot, they're all from Dallas, and so nobody in our social circle has ever been around live, you know, domestic pigs ever. And so when they come out and look and kind of spend some time out here, it almost hits them when you have to remind them that they don't smell anything right now. And then they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't smell anything. Um, and, and so the, what, ideal is, what ideal is is um, there's no smell. There's no flies, and you're right next to a load of hogs, and, and, and it smells like you're just outside. Um, and so that's sort of our – that's how we know if we're managing the pen – uh, correctly, you know, after we've noticed that after about four months or so, um, it's really harder and harder to keep that smell down. The litter has just gotten built up, you know, to the point where, and by then we've for sure gotten a couple of heavy weeks of rain. You know, we here in the kind of North Texas area, we get about 40, 42 inches of rain a year, but 70% of it comes you know, twice. Yeah. Two weeks. So we, we get, we get it, we get it typically, you know, late, early summer, late spring. And then one about now, about in October, early November, um, was where we get most of our rain. And so that, that presents, you know, a challenge certainly for the, the deep mulch uh, system, but, but it's better than just dirt. I mean, the, the mulch really helps us manage that heavy water, um, you know, to some degree, but, you know, we've got some that have been on their their paddock for I guess about two months I think so probably here in about a month or so we'll be moving them we'll rotate them to a different a different paddock yeah yeah so it's one of those things you just you're just kind of watching evaluating uh the build-up the the weather all that's going to play into when you move and how you move Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have? Um, do you currently have any type of vaccination regimen right now on this? Are, are you prepared for that, or, or do you feel that's going to be necessary? Well, we don't. We don't worm, and we don't um, vaccinate for anything. Um, I understand that's a risk, but we, you know, our goal is to is to really. Um, keep that out of out of our hogs as much as possible now if we have a hog that's that's you know sick or or needs treatment then we'll pull her out of the herd and 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 we'll try to treat her and then maybe do something different with her but 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 the truth is you know we there's a company um i can't remember where they're located but we get herbal kind of an herbal mix uh from them both for parasite treatment and also for um, immune system and they've got some other kind of mixes um and, you know, we treat our hogs with that. They get apple cider vinegar. Um, they get fresh food. They get fresh litter all the time. Um, and they're always out in the fresh open air. We don't crowd them. They really never get less than 100 square feet per animal. Uh, and so, you know, our, our bet is that doing it that way plus letting them out on pasture um, periodically will, will enable us to, to do as little vaccinating as possible. Yeah, okay. Very good. 
Um, so let's you mentioned there about some supplements and things. So let's let's move over to to your feed. So what what's your feed uh, strategy uh, with your operation? Yeah, we do a we, we we get a mix from a feed mill um, we that we put together uh, using the Fertrell uh, company sort of recommended rations and and uh, we started out actually as a um, it was a corn oat. Um, you know, roasted soybean mix uh, with the Fertrell mineral supplements in there. And um, our, our feed mill uh, that we were using at the time, um, their, their roasted soy uh, supplier uh, was bought by one of the suburb cities up here. It was, it was located in one of these suburbs that used to be in the country and isn't anymore. And the city bought that land, and, and so they lost their soybean roaster. And so we just can't get roasted soybeans, apparently, uh, for a while. And so we moved away from the corn oat soy mix to a, to a Milo uh, peanut mix that's got some other things in it, some cottonseed and some different things. Um, same, protein, same protein levels, same mineral supplements, um, just a different grain. Uh, profile and the, the hogs have seemed to have done pretty well on it. They they like it. Um, they're they're putting on weight or keeping you know weight. Um, I can tell that when we move the feed up and down, uh, it does what we want it to do um, with some of the sows. And so um, we're happy so far. And then you know we have a, a about a 2,500 square foot garden space uh, that we'll pull cucumbers, zucchinis, um, you know. Uh, squashes, whatever, out of there. And, and so the hogs get a lot of that uh, over the summer. And then this winter, they'll get, uh, we've got some finishers that'll finish out on, on a, a lot of pumpkins and winter gourds and things like that. So we're just trying it. We don't think that will completely take the place of their feed mix, but it, it, it gives them a little bit of extra. And so we kind of bring, bring some fresh food and fresh pasture to them um, instead of them having to be out on it sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, I like that variety, and I think that's that's good to have that into your strategy to, to really mix that up from time to time. Good yeah. stuff. All right. So, uh, so Roddy, let's talk about um, your, obviously, the, the tail end of the process here, and that is your, your retail sales. You had mentioned that uh, right now you're, you're doing, I assume you're doing sh- uh, uh, custom processing, doing holes and halves, or are you, are you doing USDA cuts? How are you taking care of that right now? Um, we're about we're just now about to start um, with a state inspected um, processor. Um, you know the USDA uh, the, the USDA processor out here that's close to us within at least within a couple hours. I mean they're they will, they aren't even taking calls uh, for hogs right now. And, and you know being cattle country, our processors there's there's a handful that are around um, there, but just like everyone else, you know we're we're scheduling into August of 2021 for hogs that yeah. aren't even born yet right. and yeah. won't be born for another month. And so, you know, that obviously is a challenge just like it is for everyone else. But um, additional challenge around here is that this is cattle country. And so a lot of the processors have even shut down some of they'll They'll, they'll shut down some of their hog dates um, and open up more dates for cattle. So, sure. you know, we're a, they might have done hogs every Friday. Now they're doing them every, you know, third Friday of the month or something like that. Right. So, you know, we've just got to really be out in front of it. Um, so we've got good custom processors close by. Um, so doing holes and halves with them is not difficult. 
but moving into cuts is a little bit more um, tricky. But we're we're going to do that next year. We've got a, about to uh, open up our online shop um, that we're we're going through barn to door uh, on that, and we're currently in the getting all of our all of our pricing and all of our stuff loaded in, and, and we're going to open that up here in the next few weeks um, in pre preparation for um, some litters that are going to be hitting the ground. Uh, starting uh, in the winter and early spring, and so um, we'll go. We'll do direct, direct to the consumer there um, with not only whole halves but different cuts. Uh, we have eggs, we have uh, pastured poultry, um, so we do whole chickens as well. And um, you know, we'll we'll we're looking forward to getting that up and running. You know, we've got a little. We'll have a little delivery service. We're not going to do any shipping, but on farm pickup. Um, set drop points, you know, a couple days a week, and then delivery for a for a small delivery fee. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. And it sounds like your it sounds like your customer base is is uh, already established to some degree with uh, with your friends and, and like you said, people from church and and the neighbors in that area. So that's that's always a great place to get to get started to have that customer base established. So um, do you think as far as far as that goes? Uh, the, the you know, getting deposits, getting that type of interest. Have, have you seen already that that you feel like you've got a pretty good handle on this year's uh, production? I think so. Um, you know, we we so far. I mean, even what little we've produced, we've sold out of everything. Um, you know, fairly quickly, and and um, you know, we do have folks that are excited for us to get more stuff online. We haven't even really touched. You know, even our local area. There's some some. Um, you know, a handful of suburb-type cities that are around us that we haven't even really spent a lot of time in because our friend network is and kind of net, sales network has been in Dallas. Um, we were set to be in a farmer's market uh, this fall uh, that ended up closing, uh, just postponing until next year because of COVID stuff. So we we kind of missed out on some of that relationship building there. But um, we're, we've got a couple of grocery stores that we're talking to, um, kind of your mom and pop, small, um, natural food, grocer, you know, type situations um, that, is, that, that um, are connected to a couple of other restaurants kind of on the west side of the Metroplex. So we've got some, we've got some good um, traction in town. We just ultimately need to get, get our processing nailed down and get our dates kind of lined up for next year. Yeah, very good. Very good. All right. Well, um, Rodney, as far as uh, as far as looking ahead, like a, a five year plan, where do you where do you see the operation in five years? Where would you like to see it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, not really sure. We're kind of taking it one one month or one year at a time. Um, you know, we will run out of space here. There's there is a limit to what we can do on five acres, and we we do enjoy having the the chickens and and um, we've, we've we're kind of in some early early stages with uh, some beef producers around here that maybe there might be something we can do to, to add some some grass-fed beef to our to our retail offering um, you know I think in five years I'd like to I'd like for our retail brand to be um, known enough that we can confidently sell out every year and and offer a variety of things to where there's something for everybody I think um, it's pretty easy to sell bacon uh, it's not not quite as easy to sell uh, some of the other cuts, and right. we'd like to help educate, you know, educate the marketplace on that, and and um, you know, raise the 
awareness that there's a farm producing good food, you know, within 30 minutes of, of the city uh, out here. So um, awesome. we'd be happy if we could get those things done. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, yeah, it sounds like obviously having all this uh, pasture land around you that there could even be an opportunity for you to, to lease or, or um, work out something with some other some other landowners there if you, you got bigger yeah. and bigger. Very good. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's, you know, <clears throat> around here uh, where we live, pretty much everybody has eight or ten acres. My neighbor has, you know, a hundred acres across the road and and um, so there's definitely some acres acreage around uh, you know I think what's interesting on the lease uh, front is uh, in Texas um, you know it's in maybe a lot of states there's you know there's some you get a kind of a property uh, tax exemption for, for, for you know engaging in agricultural um, activity it's actually a valuation sort of deduction I guess you you could say and there are, believe it or not, a lot of folks around here who don't have that. And the 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 the, the savings, the tax savings in Texas is is significant. And so I think there's an opportunity for us to to enter into some, you know, one dollar a month lease agreements, yeah. um, you know, in exchange for helping folks earn their tax exemption exactly for the next, over you know a five year period. So I think that. That's definitely something we're looking into, and and uh, could be interesting. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I mean, that that can really, that can really ramp up a plan if if of course the demand is there to have those uh, those options in play and not not have to drive you know, an hour away to to access uh, you know, a, a different a different uh, operation area that you've got set up. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, um, in in one question I always like to ask everybody, Rodney, in closing is what is the your best experience or your favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? I I just think that there's I've really enjoyed just having them outside. Um, you know, like I said, growing up in a in a um, growing up in a co- more commercial environment, um, it's this is this is somewhat new to me uh, the way that we're doing it and, and I really just enjoy you know seeing the hogs out there you know being happy in the sunshine eating stuff that's that's growing or or nosing around and stuff that's growing and and um, you know they're not trying to bust out of their pins they're not tearing up their feed troughs they're not tearing up their water you know they're because they're not agitated with each other you know they're they're um, they've got plenty of space and they're just kind of being a pig out there I've really enjoyed that um, and I like I like farrowing day. I just I enjoy when the litter's born and, and you know seeing what you got. You know how many how many males, how many females, how many alive. You know it's just it's just there's nothing like uh, the day the litters come. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, very good. Well, Rodney, if anybody wanted to find out more about your operation, do you ha- do you have any online presence you'd share with us? Yeah, you could. Uh, they can go to revivalfarmstead.com. Uh, we've got a little landing page there where you can kind of check in on, see updates, and, and um, sign up for our newsletter. We'll send out information about kind of what we have available and, and when um, our kind of our new online shop is going to be up and running. We're also on Facebook, uh, we're on Instagram, so you can you can find us on there, Revival Farmstead, on on either one of those, and, and uh, connect with us. We'd love that. Wonderful. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today to talk with me. It was good to hear about your operation, and I, I pray you have a great week out on the pasture. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, Troy. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. 
I appreciate Roddy taking the time to come on and, and share his experiences with us. I have to say, uh, after our interview, I talked to him for a little bit. I'm, I'm definitely jealous of that uh, Texas flat land. I'm not jealous of the heat, <laughs> but I'm jealous of the flat, flat land. He said there's absolutely no angle at all in his land, um, which just blows my mind. I have to say, I think I would be a little afraid of that. I, I, I'm the opposite of claustrophobic, so uh, being out on that, that flat of ground with that much sky, I don't know, it spooks me a little bit. It gives me cold chills to think about it. I like being tucked in my valleys. I like having minimal sky. <laughs> I know, it's a weird West Virginia thing, I promise. Well, all right. Uh, if you've got any suggestions, any interviews, any topics, by all means, uh, drop me a line. You can go to redtoolhouse.com, click on the pastured podcast. Oh, my goodness. Click on the pastured pig podcast link. A dummy with so much alliteration thought he was being clever there. Uh, click on that link. There's a contact form there you can fill out and send me some information. I'm really excited about what the, some of the interviews we've got lined up. I, I hate to to mention them in case I jinx some things, but uh, I think we've got Carl Blake coming back. He's he's almost like you know, our news report, what's going on in uh, the pasture pig world. So we're going to have him back on, be talking about some things. And then I've got a, an, actually a pig veterinarian lined up uh, that we're going to talk to. So excited to have her on as well. Now, hopefully I didn't just crash both of those by mentioning it, but... Stay tuned for those. We'll uh, we'll have those posted, um, hopefully coming out in the next uh, several months as we get them all lined up. Well, I pray everyone have a great week and enjoy the time out in your pasture. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 